Hey, everybody. Welcome to True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. I'm Christy Brower here with my co-host, sister and partner in crime, Katie Weaver. Hey, Katie. Hello. How's it going? Oh, it's going good. I I processed my turkey. Oh. And it's all I can smell now. So that's a real problem. <laughs> that, that, I'm, that's I'm the really, biggest problem I have, you know. What does that mean? You processed your turkey. Okay. <laughs> Help you know, a girl out. Okay. Well, oh, well, I put it in the Instant Pot and cooked it down for a couple of hours to oh, get all the bone okay, broth okay. and, you yeah. know, cook all the meat off. It's as moist as this mofro is going to be. That's for sure. This was mm-hmm. a terrible turkey. My turkey did not turn out well. Mine either. Exactly. I don't even like turkey. Why do we keep doing this? <laughs> it's really not my favorite. We made a ham that was much better. Uh, so did we. Yeah. Anyway. So, and in too many years, I have let the turkey carcass go for too many days and then felt like I just needed to throw it away. Oh, and it's right. just such a wasteful thing to do. And so I was right. determined this year to not be that guy. So anyway, I cooked it down. I cleaned all the bones off, threw away all the stuff. Now it's yeah. all ready so I can make soup tomorrow, but it's all I can smell. It's like I just am turkey all over my hands. It's just gross. That's all. So, yeah, thanks, you guys. I'm glad you all had to hear that. But, yeah, so that's yeah, how that was, I'm doing. That was I, really nice. Girl. Yeah. You're very turkeyed out. I gotcha. Yeah. Well, I made turkey soup last night, mm-hmm. so I don't really smell turkey today. Good news. Um, today is actually my birthday. Yes, it is. We're recording this show. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm 45, you guys. Only 45. It feels weird to say it like it's not even possibly true or even could be true. Like, it just feels super strange. Like, how is this possible? Except I know it is because you're only 18 months younger than me. And so, of course, you're coming (laughs) right up. (laughs) Weird. I I will always let you be older than me and try it out. See how how it goes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I always get to be first. If there's anything I need to know. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, if anything else is going to fall apart at 45. No, no, I've already been no. through that whole thing. Nothing else is falling apart. No, no. 45 is going to be the best year of your life. It, it by God, better be. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I am recovering from the coronavirus on my 45th birthday. This better be the best damn mm-hmm. year ever. Yeah. But I lucked out today because, you know, we can't do anything. So Rhonda made lasagna. And uh, lemon cheesecake for dessert because I am a cheesecake girl when it comes to my birthday cake. And Mm -hmm. it was all delicious, really, really nice. And I didn't have to cook any of it, which was fantastic. We'll see. So, yeah. This is a great start for the best year of your freaking life. Yeah. Yes, it is. And you're feeling good. You sound good. I am feeling much better. Yeah, I really I'm kind of fatigued and I wake up with my sinuses feeling yucky, but throughout the day they get a lot better. So, yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm coming through this. You know, I I got that. I'm going to try to pronounce it. What the hell? Bam, lenivimab infusion. That last Sunday and it takes six days to fully kick in. And so it is fully kicked in. Um, it's kicked the virus to the curb for me and I can really Mm -hmm. tell it it has because I'm feeling much, much better. So, you know, it was a real miracle for me to get that. Um, cause I really think I came through this way easier than I really expected that I would. Most definitely. I'm gonna make you a t-shirt for Christmas that says I won the COVID challenge. Yeah. I I think you probably should. Yeah. 
Because yeah. I did. <laughs> in 2019, it was the Tide Pod Challenge. In 2020, it was the COVID was Challenge. It was the COVID Challenge. Yeah. I know. I'll never forget my 45th birthday. I was recovering from the freaking coronavirus on my 45th birthday. That's uh -huh. just, you'll never forget that. That's for sure. I'm quarantined. Well, next weekend, we'll have a drink for your yes. birthday. Oh, Home most show. definitely. Yes. Not that yes. Uh, I wasn't exposed to corona again a couple of days ago. I just keep dodging bullets right, left. Yeah. Right. But one of my daughter's friends came over to visit and brought someone we don't know. And we've been oh. really good about, you know, keeping this place pretty battened down. But honestly, I didn't really even think about it. Next morning, she calls and says that uh, that friend just went and had a rapid test. and She has COVID. So she oh. was here for about oh 20 gosh. minutes. She sat at the kitchen table and had a piece of pie. I don't I didn't have any direct contact with her. Good. But, good, good. And, and Mars didn't either. But Mars's best friend had a drink of her drink. Oh, dummy. Yeah. So now no one's hanging out with each other. And, you know, yeah, here we are again. But, Back you know, again. But at the first uh, hint, man, I'm having the what's it called? The Bamalama Bing Bong? Yeah, that. Yeah, yeah get infusion. that. Definitely yeah. get that. You'll be mm -hmm. fine. Actually, yes. it's called Regeneron now because the whole thing is out now. Right. So when, when you, you had get, it. Yeah. yeah. When you yeah, had you it, you had Regeneron one leg now. of it. Yep. Yeah. So the Regeneron is the whole cocktail of drugs that Trump received. And right. yes. And so uh, it that was released like the day after you had the infusion that you had. Yeah. It was one leg of it. So now it's actually the whole thing. So anyway. Yeah. And it's, it's, good. it's, it's happening good news really fast. Oh, it's yeah. such good news. Anybody who's high risk, this is the way to go. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Without Definitely. a doubt. And, and the rest of our family too. Everybody's doing super good. So yeah. Yeah. We're over it. We yep. got through Thanksgiving and now everybody's better. So yep. it's awesome. It's all good. Yep. Yeah. For sure. Well, I have a cold read case for you. Yes. I want to say very very much thank you to one of our listeners, Liesl, for this suggestion. Uh, Liesl is Canadian and would really like to hear some more Canadian cold cases. You know, we've had a request yes. for a Canadian cold read battle. And we might want to consider that and doing just just Canadian cases, which I think is really cool. I, I love, love doing that. cases from um, other countries outside the U.S. I think it's really cool. Mm -hmm. uh, but, OK, so let me tell you about this case, because this case, okay. this is a mind boggler. OK, this is the disappearance of Emma Filipoff. OK, OK, she has been missing roughly and this the coolest part about this is that it was just the anniversary the eight-year anniversary since november 28th 2012 okay last seen near the empress hotel in victoria british columbia she was 26 at the time there's been a lot of work done on this case there have been other psychics do work on this case there have been uh you know lots of police work done private investigators podcasts, all kinds of stuff, because this girl just disappeared. Except that she didn't just disappear. There's a whole lot more to this. And so I'm going to just lay it out for you. Okay. And then get your read on what's, what do you think has happened here? Okay. So she's originally from Perth, Ontario, moved to Victoria, British Columbia in 2011. So about a year before she disappeared. Okay. And she just kind of moved there without a job or anything. Like she was just going to go kind of start setting up life there. Okay. And she stayed with some friends when she first got there. She had 
excuse me, two or three different jobs in the time that she was there. She's just kind of a free spirit, couch surfing, living on somebody's houseboat, you know, sleeping at one point in a tree, apparently, Um, you know, just kind of living the free spirited kind of life. Okay. Um, Eventually she, she ends up in a homeless shelter for women. And her plan was to buy a van and then kind of live out of the van and be able to travel around and do the transient kind of life thing. She was pretty evasive with her family about what was going on with her and what she was doing. She would talk to them, but she was she was just very, you know, like real cryptic and just real quick phone calls here and there. I'm fine. Blah, blah, blah. Right. Not really. They had no idea that she had been living in a shelter or living in a tree or whatever. You know, she mm-hmm. was spending a lot of time with um, like artists and the people down at the harbor and homeless people and street performers. And she just really just loved people. And so she just was kind of there around whoever and doing whatever, you know, just not really super connected to any particular group of people. Um, She loved walking barefoot. So she walked her all around town, not wearing shoes. Uh, She did not like cell phones and social media. Uh, She just kind of stayed away from that kind of stuff. So Mm -hmm. a lot of what was going on with her was really not known by her family and people, you know, from her past because they weren't able to keep track of her that way. She is said to have had um, just only one relationship in the time that she was living in Victoria and it didn't last very long. She did a lot of socializing, but it was a lot of like kind of just superficial relationships. It wasn't Mm -hmm. so much like she got to know people really well or anything, but People that she was hanging out with around the time of her disappearance talked about her starting to behave kind of strangely, um, acting worried that someone was following her, uh, you know, kind of looking out a door before she went out to see if someone was out there. Never indicated to anyone who she was looking for, except one one friend had indicated that she had had um, a bad relationship in, in Ontario before she moved. And that that person may have actually followed her. That was the, that was what was said. Although no one ever saw any evidence of that. This was mental health. This was paranoia. Yeah. Yeah. The last couple of weeks before she went, she disappeared. She kind of stopped eating and was only drinking tons and tons of water a day. She got really thin. Um, She got, she was getting really nervous and paranoid about what was going to happen in the winter. Because she just mm-hmm. sort of been, you know, living transiently out in the summertime, but it was, you know, winter was coming and it was going to yeah. be cold. And, uh, you know, she bought the van that she wanted in July of 2012. But the problem with it was that it was just constantly breaking down. She was always oh. having to have it towed somewhere and get it fixed. And she, all of her stuff was in it. Like she was storing all of her belongings in it, but she couldn't really live in it because it was broken most of the time. Uh, in November, not long before she went missing, she started talking about how she was going to leave Victoria. But she told to every person that she spoke to, she told a different story about where she was going to go. 
Like maybe she was going to go to Salt Spring Island or Tofino, British Columbia. Some other people said she was going to sail on a boat to Mexico or she was going to go to San Juan with some guy she barely knew. Or she was going to go to California or Costa Rica or she was going to Japan with her father or she was going to go live off the grid in the woods. Um, or maybe she was going to go surprise her family and show back up in uh, Perth, Ontario. But it was like everybody that she talked to, she told a different story to. So this didn't really help when she went missing. The investigation didn't get very far because, you know, there were so many different versions of the story. Right. So now that they go back and are able to look in her journal, there are actual indications that she's been suffering with mental health issues since she was 11. Yeah. Um, lots of paranoia and fear uh, have you know really taken over her life she also had some very compulsive rituals that some friends and family had noticed Uh, but you know she was pretty good at hiding this stuff up until Mm -hmm. this point so about two weeks before she went missing one of her friends in town drove by the shelter where she was staying And she was just standing outside, cold and wet, and staring at this group of crows, like in a tree, just staring. Mm -hmm. Um, At that same time, the the shelter staff where she was staying noticed that she was really paranoid and depressed. And at one point, she moved all of her furniture outside uh, from her room in the shelter because the furniture was talking to her. Okay. And so, you know, she was definitely – she also started – giving all of her personal belongings away. And so people got really concerned that maybe she was suicidal. Um, so they called the police and the police came or the police actually did not come. The police spoke to the staff at the shelter over the phone and said, well, if she gets any worse, let us know. But they really didn't get anywhere with her. She was an adult. She was 26. You know, Yeah. they told her to call her mom. They really felt like she needed to get some help. So she did mm-hmm. start calling her mom. So her mom, Shelly, would get these phone calls from her. She would be crying and talking about how she needed to get out of there and could her mom arrange a plane ticket so she could come home. And then the next day she would call and say, just kidding, I'm okay. I'm just really struggling. I need to work things out here. You know, don't, don't, don't get me a plane ticket. I'm going to be okay. This -hmm. went on for four days in a row. So of course, mom is getting really worried, right? Yeah. Um. And she kept talking about how she didn't want her mom to come because she couldn't face her. She wouldn't say why, but she couldn't face her. But on the the night before her disappearance, her mom was on the phone with her and she was really in a bad way and just Mm -hmm. noticed like a big change. Things just were worse. Mm -hmm. So mom said, I'm flying there tomorrow. So Mm -hmm. she does. She gets into town about 11 p.m. and goes to the shelter where Emma had been staying and Mm -hmm. no Emma. Emma hadn't shown up to the shelter that night to claim her bed. Mm -hmm. So she, I guess, talked to the shelter staff around 6 p.m. And they somehow knew that her mother was coming and she got really upset about that and took off. And people tried to chase her and follow her, but they couldn't catch her. So by the time her mom gets there, they don't know where she is. And at midnight, they call the police and they report her missing. 
Okay, but let's talk about what happened prior to that, just to give you a little bit more information. Um, on the day, yeah, okay, so on that on that day, she calls her mom at 4.30 in the morning and says, don't come. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's like, I'm coming. Something's mm-hmm. wrong. Um, so in the morning, Emma's trying to deal with her van has to be towed again. So it's parked in a hotel parking lot, and they're telling her she's got to move it or it's going to be towed. Mm-hmm. And so that morning, they she's found they see her on a surveillance video at a 7-Eleven. And she uses her debit card and buys a $200 prepaid credit card. She apparently had between two and $3,000 in her bank account at this point. Um, she also buys a prepaid cell phone. But that prepaid cell phone never gets turned on. It never gets activated. There are several people that see her throughout the day. She seems really disheveled. And confused. Um, one uh, one guy that knew her, Julian, saw her standing like on a street corner, just staring across the street. And he tried to help her, tried to talk to her. She just really would not respond, or wouldn't you know, wouldn't yeah. tell him what was wrong, or let him help her or anything. So he just left. He just didn't know what to do. Uh, let's see. So then. Uh, she sees another friend later that afternoon and she says, I'm not feeling well. I can't talk right now. And she just, you know, just continually brushing people off. She's seen wandering around town um, in a couple of different outfits, carrying all these plastic bags of stuff. And some of the time that people see her, she's wandering around carrying her shoes, walking barefoot. This mm-hmm. is on November 28th. Yeah. So finally, Somebody calls the police because she just looks off. Something seems wrong. This mm-hmm. is about one o'clock in the afternoon. So somebody calls the police and says, you need to go check on her. Something is not right. Mm-hmm. She's wandering around barefoot, you know. And yeah. so the police come and they talk to her. They talked to her for like 45 minutes. And I guess most of the time she wouldn't speak. or She would give like one word answers. And it took them like a half an hour just to even get her name. But. They finally determined that she wasn't a risk to harming herself or anybody else. And so they just let her go on her way. So let's see. Oh, never mind. So the the prepaid cell phone she didn't buy in the morning. She goes back to that same 7-Eleven and she Mm -hmm. buys a prepaid cell phone at like five, nearly six o'clock that night. And you can Did the prepaid see- card ever get used? I'll get to that. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, while she was at the 7-Eleven, you can see on their surveillance cameras that she's she keeps looking outside like she's afraid to leave, like looking out to see if there's somebody out there before she dares go. She finally does leave. That's when she goes back to the shelter, kind of has a little altercation with them and takes off. Uh, then she goes... And she hires a taxi and asks them to take her to the airport. But after only being in the taxi for a few minutes, she changes her mind and has them, the taxi driver, drop her back off where they picked her up, which was near the shelter. Okay. Um, She asks if she can just sit in the cab with the driver for a few minutes. So she does. And um, he's got his dispatch radio and there's, you know, keeps talking and Mm -hmm. she's, 
wants to know why there's noise coming out of that and is acting paranoid and freaked out again. Mm -hmm. So then another friend sees her standing barefoot on a corner, just sort of staring, you know, acting really weird. Uh, his name is Dennis Quay. He tries to talk to her and she just really won't um, talk to him, won't tell him anything. Mm -hmm. And so then the police come back to talk to her again. This time, they, this is when they talk to her for 45 minutes. Sorry, there's mm -hmm. several things that happen more than once in the same day. Okay. So they talk to her for like 45 minutes. Um, she just says she was just walking, taking a walk, and that she was going to meet a friend. So they decide she's not a threat to herself, and they let her go. Um, apparently, and this may be a Canadian thing, that this conversation is protected by privacy privacy laws and so the conversation we had with her have never been released nor have the names of the officers wow that um talked to her apparently her mother made a freedom of information request to get this information in 2015 and they denied it they wow. wouldn't give it to her, which was weird so this is about the time after the police talked to her that no one else sees her so when her mother gets there and nobody has seen her and she hasn't come in by about midnight, she hasn't shown up, they call the police and report her as a missing person. And they did declare her right away as missing. I mean, it's obvious that she was a, you know, vulnerable person in some ways. Sure. Um, so the next day, the Chateau Victoria tows her van because they'd said they would if she wouldn't move it and they don't know she's missing. Right. Uh, so then the police find it. Um, and they go through it and all of her belongings are there. Mm -hmm. Like her passport is there, mm -hmm. like important stuff, things that she would not have, you know, just taken off without most people think, you know, things that she would need mm -hmm. all of her clothes, all of her personal belongings. There were also things like library books that she just recently checked out. She was a big fan of the library and went a lot. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, lots of things that kind of, were concerning like these these are the kinds of things you find with someone who thinks they're coming back right um so then some witness reports start coming in about her mm -hmm. um on on the next on the on the 29th somebody says they saw her at a grocery store but the sighting was unconfirmed on the 2nd of december somebody um a witness reports having a weird encounter with her down by the harbor after dark. She tells them to remember the name Emma Filipoff and makes them repeat it three times. So they really fully believe it was her. Mm -hmm. And they told her, they told this person her name over and over again and made them repeat it. So then on the 5th of December, the $200 prepaid card that she bought is flagged mm -hmm. because it gets used at a gas station. So the police go and they find the guy who used the card. And he says that he just found it on the side of the road. But the problem with him is that he was a heavy drinker mm -hmm. and that this is December 5th now. So this is several days later. And he is pretty much too drunk to remember exactly where he found it or what he did with it or where he got it. So he wasn't very much help. So then 
some other weird things happen. In May of 2014, uh, there is this man captured on surveillance at a clothing store in downtown Vancouver, and he's got a crumpled up missing persons poster of Emma. And he claims that she's his girlfriend and that they just want to be left alone. And so he's pulling these signs down. So he is a man in a green shirt with a noticeable limp and flame tattoos on his arm. He's not ever been identified, but there were okay. some, he was on surveillance video, video and then somebody thought it was weird. You know, somebody saw him crumpling up this missing and thought that was weird. So, of course, following her disappearance, there's a huge search, right, for her. And they scour Victoria and the communities of Vancouver Island, and they go all out in the wilderness, the trails and the parks, and they search the water, and, you know, they search all over. But the, the weird thing is, is that there are a lot of sightings of her reported. They never, they can never confirm them, really. Yeah. But there are many times sightings of her where people are like, well, I'm 100% sure it was her. And, you know, that always happens when people go missing. And so it's hard to know, um, you know, if they did really see her or not. But there's right. been a, there was a really weird um, update in 2018. So at around 5 a.m. on November 29th, there was this man on his way to work. And he was headed to a new job and he was running late. And he saw this young woman like running back and forth on the side of the road, acting really weird, like something was wrong. And so he pulled over and she got into his vehicle and he noticed that she wasn't wearing any shoes and she was soaking wet. And it seemed to him that she'd been walking all night. Mm -hmm. She seemed really panicked until she got into the car and then she settled right down. Mm -hmm. And he asked her if he could take her to Colwood. Uh, which was somewhere she wanted to go to visit a friend is what she said. He couldn't take her there because he was going to be late for work, but he could mm -hmm. take her a little closer. Um, he ends up dropping her off at a gas station. Uh, and when she got out of the car, she immediately started acting paranoid and erratic again. And she started darting around and acting really weird. Oh. He doesn't report this until 2018. Because he didn't realize that that's who he'd had in his yeah, car. Yeah. At some point, he saw this story mm -hmm. and calls and reports this. So this is nine hours after she was last seen talking to the police. And they're pretty sure that it was her by yeah. the description and her behavior and stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, he So he reported this to Crime Stoppers. And then no one got back to him. And so he got with Emma's mother and told her all about it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they, they did a search around that area where he dropped her off back in, in 2018. You know, this is a long time since she's been missing. Right. But they did a big search, another search with like dogs and everything, hoping maybe they could find her somewhere. You know, at this point, they just think they're looking for her body. Uh, they mm -hmm. don't find anything. They didn't find any results at all. And I'd read that there were planning for another search in the spring of 2019, but I can't find any evidence that that ever happened. Mm -hmm. But to this day, she is missing. This is an open case and they have zero evidence about where she is or where she might be or what's happened to her. So okay. you already said, you know, that you feel like this was 
mental illness, that, that she wasn't being stalked or something. So what do you think? Where is Emma? I believe that Emma is alive. I fully do. I don't get any sense of her being passed at all. I actually do believe that the man that was pulling down the signs, that she really was with him in Vancouver. I feel like she has hopped all over Canada. Uh, in the sense of being paranoid mm-hmm. and, you know, deciding she's been in a place long enough. When she said that she couldn't face her mother, I my heart goes out to her mom tenfold because oh, yeah. this has been a nightmare for them. And I can only imagine and how scary that yeah. and, and the fact that she took off when her mom got there like that. I can't even imagine how it must feel for, for Shelly. But, you know. She had, in her delusions, had decided that she had done some horrible thing, that she'd committed a horrible crime in Perth. And she hadn't. She hadn't. But she's got herself convinced that she's a fugitive. That's what she's doing. She's a fugitive. And, you know, she can't let her family find her. She can't let anybody find her. And I feel like she's done a really good job of convincing other people around her that that's true. Mm-hmm. that are also mentally ill you okay. know and so I of course I do think she's going by a different name you know and mm-hmm. there there's a something about this girl though she is very personable and sweet and cute and yeah, people are really taken in by her I mean, you think about she was only in Victoria for a year and she had so many people that were looking out for her that knew her name that she was friends with. I mean, she she'd built quite a little, uh, you know, community there just because she's because that's who she is. That's the kind of personality she has. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true um, in in the uh, descriptions that come from friends and family. Very personable, loves people, kind, um, you know, immediately Mm -hmm. people take to her immediately. She's also very pretty. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, people did know her, um, you know, and so they were. It's amazing how many people saw her the day that she went missing, you know, and and were concerned about her behavior that were actually paying attention. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, yeah, kind, just a sweetheart, you know would sit yeah. and talk to people the gift card or the the $200 prepaid card yeah. she she gave it to that man she gave it to him she okay. uh in her mind had to dump it you know because because um, someone was following her mm-hmm. she bought that phone and then was too afraid to ever hook it up so she didn't mm-hmm. because she was afraid that uh that would be how she would be tracked I mean in, in her mind this has been like a you know, a movie where she's the fugitive and she's on the run and she's managed it because of her cute, because of her looks and her personality. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think people have to know her for a little while to realize that what she's saying isn't real, you know? Right. Right. That this is mental illness talking. Because she's very convincing yeah. and very convinced. And yeah. so that that's what she's been doing. Uh, I I absolutely believe she's in Canada. I believe that she's alive. I suspect that at some point she will surface, Uh, you know, and her family will be able to 
reconnect with her. I feel like, uh, however, that she is very, very ill. And, you know, that uh, the old Emma is gone. You know, she's really left the building. And, yeah, she's had some kind of a psychotic break or something. And I mean, she was 26. It's pretty much right time age-wise, you know, and there were some things, you know, in her earlier life, there is a history of mental illness in her family also, which is one reason why her mom got so worried and, yeah. and got on a plane to get there is because she knows that she knew that the potential for this is in their family. And Emma had been being so secretive that she didn't know that mm-hmm. this stuff was starting to set in on her. Yeah. Yep. I think she just, I think Emma knew. And she was Mm -hmm. trying so hard to ignore it away, you know, or pretend it away. But yeah, deeply uh, paranoid. It's really, what a sad story. Yeah. You know, um, and the wild thing, though, I I really believe that she's alive and that she's just come across people who have helped her along the way. She's not going by her name anymore, of course, you know, she's Mm -hmm. going by something else and has a story about what she's doing and where she's at and I, you know, it's somehow it's worked for her so far, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I believe that they will find her. I suspect that in the next two or three years, she'll be, that they'll figure out where she's at. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. uh, This transient, uh, you know, kind of wander around and figure it out as you go kind of lifestyle. That's, that's what she's up to. You know, mm-hmm. even before this break, that's what she was doing. And it's still what she's doing. She didn't go back to her van and get any of her stuff on purpose. I mean, remember, fugitive on right. the run, couldn't take yeah. anything with you. She was absolutely convinced that this was true. And it's what yeah. she had to do. Yeah, which is exactly what happens when somebody has a psychotic break. You know, it's just, just as real as we're having this conversation oh, yeah. in their yeah. mind. And so they, they don't know they're sick, you know? No. Yeah. No, wow. no. And she had to go. She had to go. Yeah, she did. It's wow. sad because I believe that she believes that she committed a terrible crime in Perth. She did something to her family that was really terrible, which isn't true at all, but that's mm-hmm. why she, face her mom because she had that delusion, that belief that she had done something really terrible, which is so sad because she didn't. It is. It's really sad. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm going to keep the faith here that, uh, that her family gets some answers because I fully believe she's out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you for that read. That was my sense of her too. Is that, you know, I mean, it's, she doesn't feel like she's crossed over at all. No. Mm-mm. Nope. Yeah. Nope. I no. suspect she's still with that same man. I think that he is as paranoid as she is and that they basically live in one place for a short amount of time. And then they get uh, worried that somebody's behind them, following them, you know, figuring mm-hmm. it out. And then move on. Yeah. And so they've kind of been all over the place. He is associated with cars in some way. He's a mechanic or I'm going to say mechanic that he can, he can fix cars. I feel like they have a car because he has a car Mm -hmm. and that they have been able to be a little more, uh, you know, independent because he has a car. Right. And, you know, 
she hasn't really been able to work because she's off the grid, you know, but he takes care of her and they, but they don't stay in any place very long and pretty soon they're worried again and they have to go. Wow. Yeah. Well, lots of love to her family and, um, you know, fingers crossed that they get a lead on her soon and are able to get her some help that she needs so that she can, you know, have contact with her family again. Definitely. Absolutely. Yep. Well, thank you very much for that read. I appreciate it. Absolutely. You bet. Yeah. Well, and this was a listener suggested case, which we appreciate very much. You can suggest a case to us by going to truecrimeparanormalpodcast.com. And at the bottom of the page, there is a form you can fill out to suggest a case to us. And we really appreciate that. We we take um, unsolved cases. Uh, that's what we do. And so feel free to go send us a case if you want to. And we appreciate Liesl for ex- uh, suggesting this case. It was, it's been a very interesting, very interesting story to research. Yeah, for sure. And we promise we'll do more Canadian cases. We yeah. will. We, we've heard the word. Canada mm-hmm. wants more. We will do it. <laughs> We're in. Yeah. Well, we are True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. And thank you all for being here with us tonight, you guys. If you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can always like and subscribe there as well. We also love comments and reviews. True Crime Paranormal is hosted by Katie Weaver and Christy Brower and produced by Christy Brower. True Crime Paranormal is a short girl productions podcast.